Welcome to the Home with Robin podcast. She is an entrepreneur, author, speaker, and mommy. She wants to invite you to hear untold stories of truth, resilience, and the journey of creating a home, healing, and happiness. Our guests will share the power of resilience, perseverance, and manifestation. This is a chance to share our own unique definitions of home. And now, join Robin Wilson as she welcomes today's guest. Hear a new life story. And now, welcome to Home with Robin. Welcome this evening to our very special guest. We are on a new episode of Home with Robin. And this guest is going to wow you with her knowledge. And she is someone who is an old friend, but I almost say we are like sisters. We've known each other since second grade. So welcome, Joy Touchstone from the Dallas, Texas area. Joy, tell us, what do you do? Well, Robin, thank you so much for having me. And you are right. We are definitely sisters more than anything else. But um, I am a physician with more than 20 years experience now. Scary to think about, but I'm boarded in both pediatrics and internal medicine. My goodness, how important is preventive care for children with all of your knowledge base? You know, it only makes sense that instead of trying to treat a problem once it's a huge problem, you know, you want to prevent those problems from showing up. And preventive health care for our, our kids, infants through our teenagers and young adults is incredibly important. Um, there's a lot of data that, particularly during the pandemic, a lot of preventive health care has um, fallen to the wayside. And you're seeing some of the repercussions of that with the resurgence of polio, for instance, in the New York area. So obviously, from my perspective as a pediatrician, definitely getting routine and regular preventive health care for our kids is paramount. You know, speaking of polio, people got COVID, it was something they couldn't really see. They thought it's just like a flu, no big deal. Polio, what is it? What does it do to people? So polio causes paralysis. And um, I think if you would talk to someone perhaps in our grandparents' days or even maybe in our parents' age, they probably either knew someone or maybe themselves had experience with polio. For most people back in the day when it was just running rampant, it was mostly started off with like upper respiratory flu-like illness. But for um, a good percentage of patients, it then developed into a paralysis, usually of the lower extremities, but sometimes um, to the extent where people couldn't breathe. Uh, I don't know if you ever remember seeing pictures of those um, quote unquote iron lungs. I do remember that. And I wondered why, uh, why people had that. Yes. And it was due to polio. Amazing. And so we have people who maybe have been vax sensitive. They don't want their children to be vaccinated. What are you seeing? You know, you know, fortunately for me, most of my patients understand the value of vaccines. And, you know, I also tell my patients when I talk to them that for the 15 minutes that they're with me, those kids are my kids. 
and I'm not going to offer them anything or inject anything into their bodies that I would not give to, you know, a, a blood born, a born, blood born child of my own. You understand? I, I completely agree. You know, it's a, uh, it's uh, one of those things where when people go back in history and they see what a non-vaccinated population had to go through, I think that the vaccines that we all need that are commonly taken, I think more people are becoming aware of how important that is to preventative medicine. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I do think that the fact that we can have anti-vaxxers and non-vaccinating parents, um, I, I feel that is because we do live in a, you know, first world developed country that has had vaccines since, what, 1950s? The 50s, right? For, for a very long time. So they haven't seen any of these illnesses. But I can even say, like, in my lifetime, as I said, I've been a physician for 20 years. Um, and so I was in training for four years before that. When I first came into um, my residency, I did see um, strep pneumococcal meningitis in infants. I oh my saw, goodness. Yes, I saw, we did plenty of septic workups, which is a septic workup, by the way, is when a young baby comes in with fever and we're not sure where it's from. So we do um, we check for meningitis, we check for urinary tract infections, we check for blood infections and keep the baby in the hospital for three days or so until all these cultures come back. But we did lots of those when I was in training and we saw pneumococcal meningitis. And then the Prevnar vaccine came about, which is a vaccine against that particular um, bacteria. And it went away. I mean, One wonderful to know that there have been advances to help children live a healthier life. Yes, definitely. Now you are down in, I call it the Southern belt where everything blooms year round. Yes. And you know, I grew up down there with you and now I'm up here and I get the reprieve at least during the winter. How are fall and spring allergies being impacted today with uh, so much of the um, of that area being subject to trade winds, you know, from different parts of the country. What are you seeing? Well, we are having a terrible allergy season. It actually started probably, I mean, our spring was terrible, starting in around March. Uh, and then our fall has been very challenging as well. And we probably started end of August, early part of September, really starting to see a ramp up in um, allergic symptoms in children. And that, and that's been anything from horrible eczema hives to asthma and, um, you know, rhinitis, which is the runny nose congestion stuffiness that any allergy sufferer, you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, so you know, I know what that's all about. I was, you know, as we told everyone earlier, I've known you since I was in second grade. And I would jokingly say I was the girl with the Kleenex. Um, Cause I had, I had issues with all of that. <laughs> yeah. We, we've, uh, we've uh, jokingly laughed about that a lot, but you know, it really, it's not funny when you really think about it, you know, um, 
you know, allergies significantly impact a person's life, not, you know, their quality of life. Uh, you know, I have little kids who, who can't go outside and play in the grass, you know, because mm-hmm. just something as normal and innocent as that, you know, within hours of coming in, they're going to be coughing and their eyes swollen and puffy and mm-hmm. um, parents, you know, pulling out the nebulizer to give them a breathing treatment. So, you know, allergies are not just sneezing, but, you know, they, they're, they're, they have a wide range of presentations and they impact people greatly, particularly our kids. Well, you know, I remember, I I remember hearing about nebulizers when I got older, but when Mm -hmm. I was young, my mom didn't have anything except the shower. That sounds crazy, but in the middle of the night, when your cortisol levels go down, that's when you hear many people re you know, their body reacts, the stress levels have gone down. And so now your body has a chance to really react. And so two, three in the morning, it's that horrible sound. And my mom would steam up the bathroom and mm-hmm. I'd sit in there until I could breathe again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes we still recommend, you know, if they don't have a humidifier or vaporizer, to turn on the shower, steam up the bathroom and sit in there with your kiddo tapping their back to break up mucus plugs. Oh, um, yes. Oh, yes. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you know, um, but, but, you know, luckily, you know, we do, there's a lot more access, you know, even for, you know, patients who um, may not have commercial insurances through programs such as uh, Medicaid for children and, um, those programs. Luckily, mm-hmm. most kids, if if they're going to their physician and you know getting you know preventive care as well as oh I'm sick care, uh, you know a lot of those kids can be supplied with nebulizers and the and the proper medications um, supplied mm-hmm. to, treat, to treat you know asthma exacerbations. But also you know we have a lot of medications that we use to hopefully prevent those episodes. Right. Well, you know, I, um, my parents took me to the regular doctor when I was a child, and then they took me to the holistic doctor. We would often call them the hippie doctor. Mm-hmm. And his mindset was raise a strong child, not a child on strong medicine. So micro dosing of foods that I might've been allergic to just so that I wouldn't die. That, that was basically his way of describing it. If I was allergic to, let's say, peanut butter, he might give me a bite of peanut butter on the tip of a pen. I would have the reaction in his office. He'd EpiPen me, and then my body grew to at least tolerate a little bit of it. Do you do microdosing or recommend that? Well, we don't do it in our office, of course. We're, um, you know, we're primary care pediatrics, and actually to, to do that in an office an allergy office, there are a lot of safeguards in place, you know, because if they have a bad enough reaction, you may have to give oxygen and intubate and, you know, get them down to emergency right away, you know, yes. even, with, even with an EpiPen. I mean, EpiPens definitely are life-saving, but, um, but like I said, there's a lot of, of protections in place in an allergy office that... Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, most, I mean, most offices, you know, we have EpiPens and things like that, but we don't go about courting disaster, <laughs> you know. <laughs> are as allergic as you were back then. I don't know if you remember the time you, you know, had that grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, Lord, that is the legendary story of my second grade, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, being a little kid and that being, um, I will not say how many years ago, uh, <laughs> quite a long time ago, I can't remember all the specifics other than like, I think we were all terrified that you were going to die, <laughs> you know? Yes. yes. I, I think it's, that's how I, all of these little kids felt at that time. Yes, I, you know, I, we won't say the teacher's name, but I'm sure she's long gone. But uh, I was in second grade and this teacher was of the clean your plate club mindset. Mm -hmm. And she, um, they had served grilled cheese sandwiches that day at school. And I, you know, I ate the fruit, I ate the lettuce or whatever was on our plate, but I did not eat the sandwich. And she comes around and, and says, you're, you better eat that. And I said, I'm allergic. And she's like, you're just a picky eater. And I said, you need to call my mom. And, uh, I remember she just said, eat that. And I said, you need to call my mom. Um, and she said, eat it. I took one bite and within seconds, I remember I couldn't even see out of my eyes. I couldn't breathe. And I guess, you know, somebody took me, carried me up to the office and then the nurse was freaking out and the ambulance came and, and you know, I don't remember too much after that, except a couple of days later waking up um, in the hospital. Right. Right. You know, to, why did my parents sue? I'd be, I'd be, I'd have a private jet right now in that terrible say that. Um, but <laughs> that happened, right today, the school, whole school board would have been sued. So that's right. That's right. Well, I want to ask you, um, another set of questions, you know, so many people don't understand that asthma and allergies can be intertwined. In fact, that allergies can be the trigger for asthma. And sometimes an asthma reaction will manifest as eczema or hives. Tell us how that interplay works with children. Yeah, I think the best way to think of it is think of those all under an umbrella. You know, so, you know, you can have a little kid like say a, a baby even, you know, six months, eight months old, who initially just has bad eczema, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, you're like, okay, so something that most people don't know, but about 30% of people with eczema have a food allergy or, or some, something like that. So they are already allergic or the medical word for that is atopic, you know? Mm-hmm. So, have a tendency for their immune system to react abnormally to normal things in the environment like mm-hmm. food or or um, pollen or, or grass or whichever it might be. So then they may start off with eczema and say that could get a little bit better and then they develop the runny nose and congestion and the seasonal allergies and and all of those things and then their eczema kind of stays there, but maybe it gets a little bit better. But then these other symptoms become more prevalent. And then, you know, two, three years after that, you can see a kid who begins to wheeze and cough when pollens are high or mold is high or things like that. So it's, it's sort of 
where that little body is starting off from. So we put all those things under the same umbrella. For instance, you know, if you brought your child in and, you know, we're getting a family history and I ask you, well, is there anyone in the family with allergic symptoms? And you may say, well, such as, and I would say, well, does anyone have eczema? Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, no one has eczema. And I said, well, what about hay fever? And you say, well, lots of people have hay fever. And then <laughs> talking about your child who doesn't have eczema, but yet she has wheezing whenever the pollen count is high. So, right. so if, what I try to, you know, try to, what we're taught in med school and what I try to convey to my parents is you could have three different kids and they could all have a different manifestation of atopic or allergic disease. Yes. And so that's asthma, that's eczema, that's hives, that's hay fever, that's that's any number of uh, skin disorders, right? Because their body might react with a skin disorder. So um, people need to just use those as, uh, I'll call it commercials for what might be coming. Right. Or at least be aware, you know, that, you know, if you have a person who just initially had runny nose and sneezing and congestion, you know, two or three years, if they come in and complaining of coughing in the middle of the night and coughing after exercise and um, occasionally having some chest tightness, that could very well be asthma. That's right. Now, I breastfed my daughter for about, I'm going to say 17 months because I'd read in literature that potentially the, uh, that could help my daughter not continue the path that I lived. And it seems to have worked. She doesn't really have any, uh, she had a skin condition for a brief moment, but that was treated, but she hasn't had the asthma, the eczema, the hives, those types of things. Do you believe breastfeeding helps? Is it the colostrum from the very first bit? Is it just um, diet or is, is it, we don't know? You know, I think I'll just have to say we don't know. I mean, there's a lot of immune modulators in colostrum, a lot of immune modulators or modulators, meaning regulators and controllers and primers, things that kind of get things going in a good way and calm, or calm down in the right way um, in breast milk. Uh, so the data is still there that it potentially decreases the risk for, say, you know, asthma. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, it is interesting that I have seen some children who are breastfed infants with terrible eczema Mm. and we will, uh, and they have a strong family history and we'll do an allergy test on them and they're allergic to all these things, but all they're on is breast milk. You know, they haven't, you know, you know, completely to solids. They're still getting most of their nutrition from breast milk. And when you talk to the mom, she eats a whole bunch of those foods. So, so, we're, so we're saying like, okay, mom, you know, we recommend that you let's take some of these big offenders out of the diet and, and see how the baby does. And some of them will improve with just that because we do want moms to breastfeed, you know, for at least a year. And, and then, as you know, after that, as long as it's good for both them and the baby. Right. You know, I, I wish that people knew more about it's a journey to breastfeed your child but 
and some women cannot. And I, and some women are shamed when they do. And I think that there's a growing awareness that if you can, you should, but you should certainly, if it's not possible, um, get a formula and um, don't put them on solid foods too early. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the things that I tell all my moms. I really try to encourage them to try breastfeeding. We intervene if they're having problems. But I also, in that very same conversation, tell them, look, what we want is what's good for you and the baby. And, mm -hmm. you know, it means your baby gets adequate nutrition so that they can grow and develop normally. And mm -hmm. yeah, they can get that from formula. You know, there's some un, some things in breast milk that can't be replicated by a formula, but formula has improved tremendously over when you and I were babies. That's you right. Know? That's right. So, I had to have yeah. Prosobi and Similac. I think those were the only two I could tolerate. But my mom said goat's milk was the um, closest milk to human milk. And I was allowed to have goat's milk, but not cow's milk. Right. Now, I will just because we're on a podcast where many people can be listening, I will say if you're thinking of switching goat's milk instead of cow milk due to a cow milk allergy, mm -hmm. I would not advise that because they share about 35 percent of the same protein. So so they're not exactly the same. But if someone is extremely sensitive to cow milk, you probably would not want them on goat milk. That is very good advice. You know, one of the things I've learned on every podcast and every speech I do is to tell people, check with your doctor. Everybody's experience and allergic reactions are different. Exactly. Um, one thing I do want to ask you, and is this a myth? I've heard people tell me, and I've told people, if they have a pollen allergy and they're traveling, they should find a local beekeeper and get some honeycomb and it might quell a bit of their allergies. Do you have any knowledge about that as a pediatrician? You know, I am very familiar with this concept and I've talked to actually allergists about it. Now, and, and of course they poo-poo this idea completely because um, there's no one who's done a study on it. But of course the idea behind this is the whole microdosing sort of idea that you brought up when you were talking about food. So you're going to a place where the bees are gathering pollen from that area and then doing a little bit of honey to sort of build up your immunity to it, sort of like immunotherapy. The thing is immunotherapy, even in a controlled circumstance at an allergist office, getting injections or the little drops under your tongue takes a long time to yes. build up a, a sort of a, a resistance to those allergens. So, you know, going on local honey for a day or two days or a week probably won't benefit you very much. Even if we give credit to the underlying idea of, you know, microdosing those pollens, um, you know, maybe if you did it for a, a year or six months, you possibly may. In just your town, but not just where you're traveling to. Right. Right. There's just not enough time. All right. That's good feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So, we are going to take, as you know, a quick break for sponsor right now. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you the question I ask every guest about a room in your home. Stay tuned when we come back after this sponsor message. 
Next up, our home with Robin guest will decide if they want a final question from the kitchen or the library. And we are back. So <laughs> I want to ask you, this is in Richardson, Texas. What's the name of your office and how many, and parents need to know about your practice because you do something very unique for your patients with taking time to understand their cases. Tell us about that. Well, you know, definitely I'm part of probably a dying breed. I'm a solo practitioner. And when I say that, I mean that I am not a corporate physician. My practice isn't owned by anyone except myself. And so that gives me a lot of say in how many patients I see, how long I take for an appointment. Um, you know, it gives me that flexibility. And so, I, every, so every parent needs to know that your practice will take the time instead of the five minute visit you might get elsewhere. Tell us, tell the visit, tell everyone about your practice, where they can reach you, what your website is. Right. Um, so as I was saying, I'm double boarded in internal medicine as well as pediatrics. Essentially, that means, you know, we take newborns and up. Um, I'm in uh, the Richardson area, North Richardson. So we kind of border Plano. So most of our patients come from Plano, North Richardson, Wiley, Saxe, Murphy. Um, we have some as far as McKinney, Allen. <laughs> we have them really from all over. Uh, so, yeah, I feel very blessed with my patients. Uh, I, I feel we have, I think the extra time that, that I'm able to give them it allows me to get to know them well and, and build a really good trust relationship with them. Um, and the name of your practice and website? Um, it's Touchstone Internal Medicine and Pediatrics. And you can go to www.touchstonemedpeds.com. And that's touchstonemedpeds.com. Right, like touchdownmedicinepediatrics.com. Which room do you want your final question to be from? Okay, let's go with the kitchen. Okay, well, your question tonight is, if you were to give a healthy meal recommendation, what would you suggest I prepare? Hmm. You know, I, I, I look for one of the things I'm always talking to patients about is Mediterranean diet, anti-inflammatory diet, um, something like that. So I would want you to prepare like grilled salmon because mm. it, it one, it tastes delicious. Uh, mm -hmm. two, it's very high in healthy um, fats and healthy fatty acids called omega fatty acids that help with inflammation. And it's a great source of protein, which we all need, especially as we're growing, if we're talking about kids and aging, as we're talking about as adults. Um, so I love that. And it's fairly simple to prepare. I would serve that with um, maybe a sauteed spinach because super dark leafy green, again, full of wonderful nutrients there and um, brown rice. Yes, because that has, again, it's a whole grain, lots of fiber, lots of nutrients in there. Um, yeah, that would probably be what I would like you to prepare. Well, you know, um, I know how to prepare that 
and <laughs> it makes me hungry just hearing my, my perfect meal. Um, and, uh, and so we're going to tell everybody about this meal, perhaps with, um, I'm going to do a future cookbook and I'm going to ask you to contribute to that. Oh, how fun. All right. Well, it has been wonderful to have you on the Home with Robin podcast today. I am especially thrilled that you broke down some of the concepts for our listeners on the interrelatedness of asthma, allergy, and eczema, and hay fever. And it is so important to know that the one in four people, the 60 million Americans who suffer from this condition or these conditions, um, have a path to wellness by just speaking to a pediatrician like you, who's going to be hands-on and give them a lot more time than five minutes. So Touchstone MedPeds, uh, which is in Richardson, Texas, Dr. Joy Touchstone, thank you for being a guest on our show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Fantastic. Everyone have a great evening. Good night. Good night. As this Home with Robin segment comes to an end, thank you to our guest and our host, Robin Wilson. Subscribe now. Tune into the next episode. And thank you to our sponsors.